The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue looking at the servant songs found in the book of Isaiah, we've come to the third song found in the 50th chapter of Isaiah, which is the song of the steadfast servant. The pinnacle of this song is found in verse 7, where we read, Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. The Lord Jesus Christ set his face like a flint toward Calvary. He would not be deterred. He would not be dissuaded. He would not be disappointed. Join us as we continue looking at these servant songs and focus today upon the song of the steadfast servant. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Blessed assurance, Jesus is
This morning, we want to turn to Isaiah chapter 50. A few weeks ago, we began talking about the servant songs in Isaiah. All of these songs are highlighting the suffering servant. Now, granted, in that day, I'm, I don't know that Isaiah himself even understood all the implications of what he was prophesying. That's an interesting thing about prophecy, is even the prophets themselves did not always know what the prophecy was all about. Uh, in fact, prophecy is always best interpreted in hindsight. You know, I hear men all the time trying to tell us exactly what's going to happen in the future and pointing to scriptures that build up some timeline and that sort of thing. Well, my position is, ask me after it's over, and I'll tell you how it turned out. <laughs> and ultimately, I know that we win in the end, and that's really all we need to know. But Isaiah here prophesied in a time of great trouble. Israel was apostatizing. Israel was uh, going away from God in many ways. And in the midst of his prophecy, which contained many warnings, there was also this sweet set of songs that forecast the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that suffering servant was the Lord Jesus Christ that he was pointing us to. And we look back at the chosen servant last time, or two times, two weeks ago, and then we've looked at the successful servant, and today we're going to look at the steadfast servant the steadfast servant here in Isaiah chapter 50. The song itself is, really doesn't begin until verse 4, and that's just the reason it's called a song. It's just a particular way of writing, and it's a particular focus. But the song itself begins in verse 4, but we're going to start at the beginning of this chapter, and we're going to see the context, a little bit of the context, about what's going on, and then we're going to look at what Christ is coming to do and his commitment to doing that, which the Lord himself sent him to do. So let's begin reading in verse 1. And the first thing we're going to see is the confusion of the people of God. The confusion of the people of God. Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom uh, I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem, or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh, because there is no water, and dieth for, for thirst." I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. Now notice in this preliminary lead-up to the servant song, which begins in verse 4, we see the confusion and the, indeed the disobedience of the people of God. Notice here he says, basically, I've divorced your mother. <laughs> in fact, he said, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away? And it's not because of any problem with God that, that, that Israel was put away. It wasn't for any fault on God's part. It was for Israel's spiritual adultery. You know, I'm convinced that one of the reasons God hates uh, adultery in marriage so much is because it mimics the spiritual adultery 
of Israel and of his people who apostatize from him. Now let me just say this before we get too harsh on Israel. When I read about the nation of Israel and their, their goings here and there and their doings and throughout their history, it's like the whole history of the nation of Israel almost mirrors my life, my little finite life. Because I think, I, I don't know about you, but I can identify with being overwhelmed by the presence of God and thinking to myself, Lord, there is no way I'll ever sin against you again. And then within a 24-hour period, I'm right back where I was. Lord, why? Oh, Lord, how, how could you put me in this position? You know, that's what happened to the nation of Israel, isn't it? They, they saw God part the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. That's, that's not some natural phenomenon. I've seen, I've seen the National Geographic Channel and other Discovery Channel, those, they try to explain it in some, some kind of natural sense. But listen, if, they, if the waters under the sea were parted right now, you couldn't walk across for the mud that was in there. You'd, you'd get all hung up, mired up and all that. They walked across on dry ground. That was God's doing. And they saw that and they, and they were delivered miraculously. No way you could consider that anything but a miracle and yet, Within just a few more miles, they got thirsty and they got hungry and they came to water and the water was bitter and they said, Lord, you've just abandoned us. You know, I mean, have you ever been there? I've been there. I mean, I, I wouldn't dare ask for confessions because I think we'd all, we'd all have to either confess or lie about it. And I wouldn't want you to lie about it. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've been there where I felt the presence of God so close I could touch him, I felt like. And then within... 24 hours, I'm whining and moaning and the Lord's abandoned me. I just, you know, what? And, and, and worse than that, worse than that, I'm not just becoming faithless. I end up committing sin, committing. You know, I just told you about earlier, this past weekend, we had our sweet time of communion. That's such a sweet service. And, and Brother Adam spoke about all the suffering in detail, the suffering of Christ. And how everything that they did to him was so painful and so much suffering. And, and it was for me. It was for, it was for the sins I committed this past week after he told us about it. Oh my, I, I've been there. The nation of Israel has been divorced in a sense from God. He's put her away in a sense for her spiritual adultery. It says... Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves. And they, they're, saying, they're saying, which of my creditors is it to whom I've sold you? He said, it's not me. You've sold yourselves. Don't sell yourself to the creditors of this world. I know what it's like to be in debt financially. That's a bad feeling. I, I, I struggle when I'm in debt. I, I think, oh, man, I owe this, I owe that. But listen... When you sell yourself to the creditors of this world, I'm not talking about the banks. I'm talking about to whatever it is that comes between you and God. When you sell yourself to those creditors of the world, you always come up short. You're, you will be shortchanged, beloved, when you sell yourself to the creditors of this world. 
Anything, and that's anything that comes between you and God. You know, he tells us to avoid idolatry. We're not to be idolaters. So, well, I don't bow down to any idols, do you not? What about work? What about recreation? What about thing, anything that divides you from God? And listen, I'm talking about me. I'm not talking just to you. Remember, when I'm preaching to you, most of the time it's because of something I've been convicted of in my life. All of us have idols in our lives. The question is how much we're going to let them get in the way of God. We should put them away. They've sold themselves for, for their iniquities and for their transgressions. It says, is your mother put away? Notice the question he asked. Wherefore, when I came, verse 2, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? You know, remember now, let me, let me, little dose of reality here. This is not the reprobate wicked. This is the regenerated children of God who are being disobedient. But notice what he reminds them of here. He says, why was it when I came that there was no man? When I called that there was none to answer. Now there's a couple of ways we can look at that. And one, one of the deeper ways is that He's reminding us and them that we can't save ourselves. You know, think about, think about what Paul tells us in the book of Romans. You know, the world says you just got to answer the call. You just got to respond when he, um, when he calls. And then you'll be saved eternally. You can get born again that way. But guess what? When he calls, no man answers. You know why? Romans 3 tells us, verse 9, What then are we better than they? He's talking about the Jews versus Gentiles. No and no wise, we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. That doesn't leave anybody out. He didn't just say the Jews are under sin. He said the Gentiles are. And anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. That just means the nations, okay? Verse 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Period, end of story. I love the way he says that. He repeats himself sometimes, Paul does, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's because he knew there would be a question in between there. There is none righteous. You mean none? No, not one. <laughs> Isn't that the way it goes? You tell somebody, nobody's righteous. Wait a minute, time out. You mean not even a little baby? No, not one. That's the answer, see. Listen, I, I, you know, we got the new grandbaby and he's the greatest thing in the world. You know, praise God. We're so thankful for him. But guess what? He's a sinner. <laughs> he's got a sin nature. You know, he's, he's, he's very uh, in tune with, with self-focus. Okay. Very in tune with it. Uh, now, I mean, he's got some good, you know, I, I like his personality. He's not just all, you know, crying all the time. But I'll tell you. He's interested in being the center of attention. That's, every child is that way. They're not born into this world good and innocent. They're born into this world sinners. There's none righteous. No, not one. Not one, you see. There's none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. The world tells you just seek him and you'll find him. Well, you will find him if you seek him. But the problem is in your flesh, you won't seek him. Everyone that seeks him finds him. But you know why they seek him? Because they've been born again already. And they have a nature to seek him with, you see. 
Yeah, if you seek him, you'll find him. The problem is you don't seek him in the flesh, in nature. Dead means dead. Dead doesn't mean, you know, I heard Brother Mark preach this past weekend about the difference between a doctor and an undertaker. The world can't tell the difference sometimes when you need a doctor and when you need an undertaker. If somebody's sick a little bit, a doctor can help them. But if they're dead, the only help you can give them is to call the undertaker to carry their body away. Somebody else can help them, though. The Lord can help the dead because, see, the Lord can raise the dead. It's the voice of the Son of God that causes a dead man to live. There's none that seeketh after God. There's, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. You mean nobody does good? No, not one. He answers it with finality. See, that's the point here partially, I believe, of what he's saying. But also, I, I, I think a more direct application here, this is something we can take from it, yes, but the more direct application is this. Is he speaking to his children who are already born again? And it's almost like the Lord, you know, the Lord's not ever shocked or surprised. I don't mean that. But sometimes he expresses things in ways we can understand that if it was us, we'd be shocked and surprised. He's saying, my goodness, when I came to my people and I, and I asked and I sought and I called, there was none to answer. What he's saying there is, that's a shameful place to be. That's a shameful place for us to be if we don't even recognize the voice of God when he's calling us. Now, I know that I'm not talking about the audible voice of God, but, you know, we ought to know a little bit about this book because that's the way he speaks to us. We ought to know just a little bit, and I'm being facetious here, we ought to know a lot about it. But, you know, if you don't know anything about it, you need to know just a little bit about it because <laughs> that's how God is speaking to us. He says, wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? There's a place over in Ezekiel where he says there was no man to make up the gap, to stand in the gap and to make up the hedge. Beloved, we ought to be... We ought to be standing in the gap. We ought to be making up the hedge. Those who are born of the Spirit, and especially those that have been instructed in the Word of God, we ought to be standing in the gap. You ought to be there beside your brothers and sisters standing in the gap. Now, what does that mean? That means the lifestyle. It means how we live. It means how we treat each other. It means church. It means being here and being part of a, a called-out assembly. You know, when you're not here, there's a gap. <laughs> there's a gap. There's, a, there's an important function that we serve as the visible aspect of the kingdom of God. We declare without hesitation. We declare without equivocation that this is important. That God's word, that God's people are important. When he came, he said, there's no man there. Now notice what he said, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Don't you recognize what a redeemer I am? <laughs> you know, of all people in the world, we that believe in the sovereign grace of God ought to be the most diligent in our lives, in our lives and in our communities, in our families, in the way that we live our lives. I say this to my shame, I don't always show forth that. But we ought to. You know why? Because, my goodness, Think about the deliverance that we have. The eternal deliverance that we have is dependent solely and wholly upon God. I didn't help him out. If anything, I hindered him, which I know you can't hinder the new birth. I don't mean that. But in the sense of 
The part I would have played, I would have been nothing but getting in the way. God had to overcome my proud spirit in order to born me again. It wasn't because I was begging him. It wasn't because I was getting so good or getting so educated. It was because, it was because God in his love sovereignly saved me from my sins. Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? We need to recognize the power of God every day. Notice this, behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. At my, uh, I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh because there is no water and dieth for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. Notice that the power of God to redeem and to rebuke is unsurpassed and it is unmitigated. The entire creation is at God's beck and call. The entire creation is God's to rebuke. When he rebukes, he really rebukes. Notice that. He said, if I wanted to, I could dry up the sea. You know, there was a time he wanted to flood the world, and he did it. And there's not enough, you know, you know there's not enough. I've read this, and I think it's true. I'll, 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 I'll equivocate on it enough to say that I don't know the details for sure, but but the best I can tell from the research I've done, there's not enough water in the seas to flood the world like it was flooded in Noah's day. Even if a man wanted to do it, he couldn't break the dam and let it flood, you know. You know what had to happen in, in Noah's day? The windows of heaven had to open. And the fountains of the great deep had to open up. God was able to do it even though man could never have done it. Well, guess what else God can do? He can dry it all up. <laughs> he said, at my rebuke, the sea dries up. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? What God can, but God can do that. Where'd it go? I don't know. God took care of it. If he does it, he does it. He said, I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. He can shut down the light anytime he wants to do it. You know, I know that most storms that come through are not God's specific doing. You know, he can, he can stir up a storm. He can send a whirlwind. He can appear in a whirlwind. We've seen that. But God doesn't always do that. And most of the hurricanes and the natural disasters that occur are the result of nature, which is cursed by sin. It's a fallen world. Most of the disasters that we endure are because this world is cursed by sin. But God can do it. At any time he wants, he can send the clouds over this earth and he could shut down the light. He could turn off the sun just like that. See, he is able. And, and go back just to verse 2 again. Now, now, remember what he said, though. Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? What verses 1 through 3 are doing are leading us into this servant song. It's the lead-in for the entrance of the Messiah, the suffering servant who is the Savior, which begins here in verse 4. Now, I want you to notice after we've seen the confusion and the apostasy and the disobedience of God's people, the first thing we see in this servant song beginning here in verse 4 is the knowledge of the suffering servant. Jesus Christ had the necessary knowledge to save us eternally. You know one of the reasons we can't save ourselves? We don't know what to do. We don't know how much is enough. We don't know all the details of what God's wrath and justice demanded, you see. But Jesus Christ 
had the necessary knowledge to save us eternally. Listen to this. The Lord God hath given me, that's Jesus Christ here, the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Jesus Christ knew what we needed to be saved. He knew what God required. You remember overnight, we're going to get to it in the, the last servant song if we continue on this series. Over in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 11, it says, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. See, that's one reason I couldn't do it. I don't have the knowledge. I don't know exactly what it takes to satisfy the justice of God. But Jesus Christ knew exactly how to save us. He knew what God the Father required. He knew, for example, yeah, I mean, I, I wish I don't have time to go through all of the old pagan theories of salvation. In fact, heaven to the ancient Greeks and Romans was sort of a, a fuzzy and foggy place. They, they really, it was really a scary place. The afterlife was not something like we think of it as this beautiful, wonderful place of peace and joy. It was kind of a place, you know, Hades, the God of the dead, he had to deliver you across that dark river sticks and into a place of appeared to be just a scary and horrifying place, really. They really didn't have much of a concept of the afterlife that differed a whole lot from our vision of hell in, in one sense. It was just a bad place to be. The Egyptians weren't much, much better. The Egyptians did everything they could do to preserve the body because they felt like the body and the material things of life had to go with you at death. If you weren't properly preserved, properly uh, embalmed, and they had, they had it better, they could do it better than we can do it today. There's secrets of the old Egyptian embalming process that our undertakers today don't have. They had, they had did you know that the Pharaoh, who is most likely the Pharaoh of the Exodus, his body is still preserved, embalmed. And I think it's over there in one of the, uh, it's not it's still in the tomb, it's in one of the museums there in Egypt. Can you believe that? It's still embalmed. You can go see that Pharaoh. You can see his body. See, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. You know, what, what would you have come up with? You know, what would I have come up with? You know, they had to have heroes like Hercules and others. They had to have all these gods to put together. And even then it didn't work out too well. Who would have ever thought that God would have to become a man? Who would have ever thought that? Well, you heard about men going to heaven, but God coming to earth? And yet, Jesus Christ knew, as we're told over in Hebrews chapter 2, that he would have to become one of us. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He knew that he would have to become one of us. He also knew that he would have to take on sin for us. He would have to become sin for us. What is 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Who would ever have thought of that? Those gods of the old pagans they weren't willing to suffer. They weren't willing to to, to be identified with us. They wanted to make sure you knew. Zeus always had the lightning bolt to make sure you knew he was Zeus. Jesus became one that was of no report. He was 
He was, there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. He knew he would have to do that. He knew. He knew he would have to die for us. A God in the old pagan way of thinking of things, a God wasn't going to die for a human. A God wasn't willing to do that. But Jesus Christ knew that that's what it would take for him to redeem his people. He says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He knew exactly how to save us. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J, C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.